0: Our Bible reading for today is from Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth the gospel that has come to you. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God bless the reading to us.
1: uh, Before we share together, let's just take a moment to pray. Lord, we just uh, want to say thank you that it's great to be able to gather together in your name, share together with the family of God. And as we open your word and share it this morning, Father, I just pray that you would just speak into our hearts and into our lives. And for that, I say thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In that uh, reading that Colleen brought to us this morning, there's a number of significant verses, but the verse that stood out to me in the last couple of days uh, was uh, Verse 13. Where Paul says, For he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. When we think about that, that is pretty significant, isn't it? He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. Peter says something very similar in First Peter chapter two, where he says, But you are a chosen generation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation god's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light now thinking about that you just the thought crosses my mind how great is our salvation the greatness of the price that has been paid for us in the late 1990s early 2000s there was a song that was around and these words were were part part of the chorus, and they come really out of Colossians 1:27, which where Paul talks about uh, the hope of glory Christ in us, and says, "Can't stop talking about everything He's done. It's the best thing happened since the world begun. It didn't come cheap, but I got it for free. It's the hope of glory Christ in me." Now, some of you probably know that. You know that song? None of you? None of you know? Can't stop talking about everything He's done. Best thing that happened since the world begun. Didn't come cheap, but I got it for free. It's the hope of glory. Christ in me. Something to that effect. It suits Darlene Check's voice better than mine. It didn't come cheap, but I got it for free. I got it for free. And for those of us who've been part of the, the Christian church for some time, the, the wonder, the amazement of all that God has done for us in order that we might be saved and what he would like us to be involved in with him, can sometimes be lost in a world of familiarity. Now, if you have your Bibles there, you might might like to turn to the book of Hebrews. We might get back to Colossians. In in, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 1, we read this. The start of chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he has made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so for these Jewish converts to Christianity, the writer is reinforcing the supremacy of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus who is far above and beyond the angels. And the angels are very big in Jewish belief. Remember being in a theology class once and learning learning the difference between a seraphim and an archangel. And I think I've forgotten it. But it's very big in in Jewish context, the angels. And the writer goes on in chapter 2 to say this. So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard or we may drift away from it. We must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through the angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? We must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard or we may drift away from it. How can we escape if we ignore this great salvation? As the name of the book suggests, it's, uh, the letter is written to Jewish Christians who were, who were struggling in, in their walk with God. I mean, the commitment they had made had cost them a lot. Many of them had been persecuted. They'd lost homes and property. And they were just starting to become discouraged and were struggling in their walk with God. And they were ready to just leave it alone and, and walk away from it from the blessing that they'd first received. We must pay careful attention to give earnest heed to. That's what the writer's saying. And these people weren't rejecting what they had received. They were just starting to neglect it and to simply ignore it, to say, well, it was good while it lasted. Some traditions go back a long way. Yesterday, I I went down to my vegetable garden we live in retirement fields, you know that. But I walked down the veggie patch yesterday, must admit, I must confess, hadn't been there for a while. And to my horror, I had discovered that I had been the victim of demonic visitations. <laughs> Someone had come during the night and sewn tears into my patch. And what did I do to achieve all this? Nothing. All I did was just to ignore it and to neglect it. And I ended up with something that I didn't want. And the same is true for me and the same is true for you in terms of our Christian life, our walk with Jesus. All we have to do to find ourselves in a situation we don't want, to find ourselves in a powerless situation, is to ignore the great salvation that we have experienced. How shall we escape if we ignore this great salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? That word ignore, neglect in the Greek means to make light of, to give scant regard to. So how can I stop myself from ignoring, neglecting, drifting away from this great salvation that I have experienced? And that's what the the readers of the letter to the Hebrews were experiencing. And the the writer outlines things for them over the next chapters. And in chapter 10, the, the writer brings out four things that I want to share with you this morning. We start off in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. The first thing I want us to see that we so that we don't neglect our great salvation is to draw near to God. I mean, that's a common theme through the scriptures. James 4 and verse 8, James says, draw close, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Even in Jeremiah, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, if you seek me, then you will find me if you search for me with all of your heart and I will be found by you. I will be found by you his promise. So how do you draw near to God? Any way you can. Any way you can. The way that works for you. What works for others mightn't work for you. What's good for you might be uh, irrelevant to others. Find what works for you in drawing near to God and use it. Some people say, you know, find God in the morning. Others, find him in the evening I don't care when you find him just find him find him Wayne Cordero is very big on uh, finding God in the morning Uh, his wife finds God at night and she's he's still trying to work out how that's happening but she finds God in in a very real way in in the evening some people find morning great some people wake up in the morning and say good morning Lord others just wake up and say good Lord morning you know whatever works for you Some years ago I went to the, when I was a a police chaplain with Victoria Police, I went to the the annual police chaplains conference at the the academy in in Melbourne and we had a number of great sessions and uh, just before we finished on this particular year somebody got up and was talking to us about being refreshed and being renewed and they were saying to us, what you must do is ink into the diary. Make it non-negotiable. Ink into the diary a day a month. Two days a month preferably, but a day a month. Go away from your surroundings, find a tree, find a creek, a river, sit under it, spend the day there and be refreshed. And to me, it sounded like my idea of health. And I thought, well, I, I, I do that occasionally, but I do that in order to get away and, and I refocus and I sharpen the focus and that's good. But at the end of the day, I come home spent and tired and worn out and, and I, I sat there and I listened to it and listened to it and I listened to it for quite some time and I could see some of the others around me were equally as engrossed as I was and in the end I thought I could lose the badge here but not to worry so I put my hand up and I said excuse me I said what you said is great and, and there's truth in that and some of it for me but I said it doesn't refresh me. I said, if I want to be refreshed, you know, give me a Marx Brothers movie or a, a James Bond movie or, or sit me around a table with, you know, four or five people and we'll share some food and we'll, we'll talk together and laugh together. And I said, that's what renews me and refreshes me. And I thought, well, that's a bit, I'm going to be finished. And, and all the other chaplains said, preach it, brother. And I thought, yeah. We had lunch with Tom and Ann Buscombe last, uh, not last Sunday, Sunday before. A fortnight ago and I preached for Susan at Uroa and we'd set it up and we agreed we'd meet at one o'clock in Benalla to have lunch together and we did and we all arrived there at one o'clock and at three o'clock everybody else had left and we are still there <laughs> and people are coming around with brooms sort of giving <laughs> you the, the hint and the vacuum cleaner and so we went outside and sat outside for another three quarters of an hour it was a great time went home refreshed and renewed and it was just a great time it's great to catch up with them we've known tom and ann tom would probably say too long uh 30 years and if tom tells you anything about me don't believe him (laughs) because it's probably true however we find it however it works for you draw near to god because that is the place where god speaks it's the place where we experience God in the closest of ways. It's where, it's where we have an ex, a, a significant moment and a, a significant experience with Jesus. It was 30 years ago this week I was in the Alfred Hospital and was diagnosed with cancer. Now that's not an experience I would want, uh, either the, the illness or the, the medication. I, 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 that's not something I would want to wish on my worst enemy now as I was thinking about that I was just trying to think who my worst enemy was but there's a large list actually but it was a time for me that I I believe that that God used to his advantage and to mine as well and and in the moment of that um in my frustration of saying why me Uh, God spoke to me very clearly and I might have shared this with you I don't know but he said to me read Psalm 57 and verse 1 said this have mercy on me O God and I thought that was a good start um, have mercy on me for in you I take refuge I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed it was a time where I wasn't able to do a lot but I, I did read a lot well a lot by my standards not by Susan's it was a time I couldn't work and I was out of action but I read about some of the great inspirational figures in in the Christian church and through Christian history and, and I read about people like John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield and William and Catherine Booth and C.T. Studd and Hudson Taylor and, and others as well. And I read how in the 1700s, um, they were days in Europe that, uh, well, when to, it was a day when to be disrespectful, to live a life anything but pleasing to God, was considered good. J.C. Ryle, who was an Anglican bishop in the 19th century, wrote this. He called that period the darkest period in England that England had passed through in, 300, in the last 300 years. And he says this, immorality and vices of every kind were widespread and practised all over England. Judging from the description we have of men and manners in those days, a gentleman might have been defined as a creature who got drunk, gambled, swore, fought duels and broke the seventh commandment incessantly. And for all this, no one thought the worst of him. There were, there were also very few preachers. The Anglican bishops led ungodly lives and preached sermons so dreadful that the members of the church dwindled rapidly. England was in need of a work of God that would, would awake the church and empower her to be what God called her to be. And all that, that we hear about, that the time of great awakening in, in Britain where the, the Wesleyan revival, sometimes known as. But in the 1700s in France, France went through a similar situation, but it was dealt with by might and power, and they experienced a blood-stained revolution. England never experienced that. And I read how, how John Wesley and uh, George Whitfield, as young men, Whitfield, a 22-year-old, would stand in a, on a tree stump in a paddock and, and preach to thousands of people. And coal miners would have just white streaks down their faces as their, as their tears ran down the cheeks of their faces, having heard about the saving grace of Jesus. I read about how William Booth would uh, read his Bible at night by an oil lamp. And as he read the Acts of the Apostles and saw what great things God had done, he would cry out, do it again, Lord, do it again. And as I read about these great people from a day gone past, I cried out to God, that's what I want to be involved in. If I can survive this, that's what I want. Give me something of that boldness. That's what I want my life to achieve. When we draw near to God, we start to experience something of God's heart. Something our salvation is far more than just our sins forgiven and an eternal future with him in heaven. It's the privilege of walking with him day by day, being close to him, of being involved in what he is doing because he's involved in some exciting stuff and some, some scary stuff. It's what I want my grandchildren to experience. I want them to see the way God can move and change a life and bring, bring a newness into a situation that has, that has become dull and lifeless and less than God honouring. I want them to see the change that can take place. The last couple of years in Australia have not been great years for us as a, as a nation and I fear we may be headed for, for more of the same or even worse. And the only thing I can say to you today as fellow followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is this, get ready to be uncomfortable because God will either do one of two things I think either revival will come to this country and we'll see God move in ways we've never dreamt of, and that means that the local church is probably going to be uncomfortable because we're going to have people pouring through the doors, or the church will have to go underground. I talked to a friend the other day, he's actually a Catholic, and he said that might be good because it might just grow. Either way, it's going to be uncomfortable, but either way, the church will grow. The dumbest thing the world has ever done is to persecute the church because history shows us that whenever that happens, the church grows. Draw near to God. That's the first thing we need to do. The second thing we find in verse 23 where the writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And Paul says something. That's a prayer of Paul's heart, actually, in uh, In Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you. Let us hold to the hope that we profess. I meet people every week who have no hope. It's a privilege to be I have to be in the position to just share a a few of my feeble words which may just give the glimpse of the hope that people can have. I have a a friend who worked for a major multinational corporation. He was very good at what he did. And he, he had a great work ethic. He was a follower of Jesus. And one day, a work colleague seemed agitated. And he said to my friend, I want to see you in the conference room. He said, all right. Got down to the conference room, shut the door. And he said, what is your life about? What is it that you have got how do you get it? Whatever you've got, I want it. And you're not leaving this room until I get it. And my friend said to me, he said, I was really stunned because I'd never really been overtly open about my faith. People knew I was a Christian. They knew I went to church. But this guy saw something in him. People are looking for hope. They really are. A little like what Christine said. Uh, our son, Travis, who's in ministry. He's now at Castlemaine. Um uh, and uh, he rang me up the other day for some help, which is most unlike him, uh, because Dad doesn't know anything. And he, he said to me, I might have to do a funeral. He said, what do I do? I said, I can probably point you in the right direction. And he's telling me about, uh, there was somebody in the church whose I think, mother, grandmother, a fairly loose connection that they had was in a nursing home and she was fading rapidly and so he went to see her a few times and then she passed away and then he had to meet with the family and I gave him some suggestions for that and gave him some suggestions for the service I talked about it all to him after it was over and I, and I said how would it go he said yeah look it, it all worked fine but he said the thing that amazed him he said it is amazing how religious people can get when death is involved because people will reach out and they'll cry out for something for hope for a future let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have to the hope that we profess and then the writer goes on to say this in verse 24 and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and that's the third thing let us consider how we can spur each other on for in doing that how do we do it well firstly I, I just say to you be who you are be what you are don't try and be somebody else. Uh, bring what you have to the table and let others bring what they have to the table. In being who you are, you will encourage others also. Jesus talked about that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, where he says, let me tell you why you are here. You, this is out of uh, Peterson's message, to paraphrase the message. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. Can I encourage you to spur one another on? Open up to each other. Encourage each other. In the local church, there are a number of people who do a number of things that keep the wheels turning, so to speak. Take time to encourage them. Thank them. And those who are finding their way in a ministry or who may be new in that, encourage them and keep... Uh, encourage them to keep pressing on with what it is that that God has called them to I see see the poster on the wall that's got to be Tom's writing doesn't it? yeah I thought it was yeah I think I've heard him say that before yeah I'd encourage it read that take it to heart let us consider how we may spur one another on and then the fourth thing we find in verse 25 where the writer says let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. As human beings, we have a great ability to inspire and to be inspired, and we need those moments of inspiration from others. We also have a great ability to regard and to disregard. All it takes us for us to, to lose our faith, to lose our way, to lose our passion and our fervour for God is like my veggie garden and that is just do nothing. It's just to neglect it. To neglect it. If we took all the people who made decisions for Christ in the 1960s and the 1970s alone through evangelistic efforts through things like the Billy Graham crusade and Youth for Christ rallies and and, and even the charismatic meetings that that were around, a lot of people found Jesus in those situations. And we said, uh, we got them together into church next Sunday. The churches in Australia wouldn't hold them all. They really wouldn't. We've been inspired by others. I have, I have friends who've inspired me to, to press on with God into further things. I've had friends who've inspired me to come to a point of giving my life to Christ. And sadly, today, some of those people don't walk with Jesus. Sunday mornings for me as a kid wasn't a time when we got up as a family and said, well, What are we, we going to do today? we go fishing or we go to church or beach looks good Um, there was never there was never any doubt never any question it's just we're believers we're going to go and worship no matter how bad it was some days it was bad but our commitment was to God our commitment was to God and we had a covenant agreement that was his time and people had to just about die to get it off us as Paul says to the Colossians, he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. And that's just worth saying, wow, that God thought that much of us, the price he paid for you, for me. If we're prepared to, to draw near to God, let us draw near to God. Let us hold unswervingly to the, the hope that we profess. Let's spur one another on towards love and good deeds and let us not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. And if we do that, then we're going to have a deeper ongoing relationship with God and our fellow believers, and I believe that we will be an inspiration to the people that God brings across our path. Let's just take a moment to pray. As we pray, as we think for a moment about all that it is that God has done for us, just like us to take a moment to, as we remain seated, just to listen to this song and just take in the words for it. Maybe you might like to make it your prayer. But it just simply says this, draw me close to you. It's your prayer to God. Never let me go. And maybe today might be the day you say, Lord, I'd I'd just like to come closer to you today. I'd like to come closer to you. Or perhaps you'd like like to say to him, I'd like to come back to you. Or perhaps you might like to say, I want to come to you for the first time because these people have got something and I want it. So whatever it is, make this your prayer. As we just sit and we listen to this this together, draw me close to you. If you need to sing along, just do it very softly so that we don't disturb the people alongside us. sing it together. To do.
0: 'Cause and nothing else, else could, could take
1: your, your place. But to feel the warmth of your embrace. Help me find a way. Bring me, me back, back to you. I pray today that you would encourage them and equip them to be bold for you, that they would be your people where you have placed them. And for that, I say thank you in the precious name of Jesus.